Creativity is a big part of your work as a copywriter, whether you're coming up with new angles for leads and headlines or new ideas for content or new approaches for pitches to prospects who you want to work with. Creativity plays a big part in all of that, which kind of begs the question, can creativity be systematized? Can processes and formulas help you be more creative? Those approaches feel a little bit uncreative to me, but our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Dan Nelkin, and Dan is here to correct that misconception. He shared several details about his creative process that might help make you more creative too. Stick around for this fun conversation. But before we all get super creative here, we just want to share something special for you. We call it the P7 Client Attraction Pipeline, which is kind of a mouthful. You can call it P7 for short. Um, this is our client acquisition system designed specifically to help copywriters create a prospecting habit. So we, we want to make it really easy for you to fit prospecting into your day so it feels natural. And so not only do we cover prospecting tools you can use, we give you a bunch of pitching templates and we continue to kind of add new templates that work for copywriters. Um, we also give you industry niche niches, 293 specifically, so you can figure out which niches you could tap, um, especially if you feel like the space you're working in currently might be slowing down and not hiring. This is where we can be really flexible and explore other niches to find work. And so we do all of that inside the pipeline and this program, um, along with supporting you with some behavior shifting um, that can help you really turn this uh, behavior into a habit so it doesn't become the thing that you try one day and then you stop doing. It does work. We've seen copywriters use these tools and these trainings to gain clients. So it's worth exploring if you don't have a client attraction pipeline in your business. And you can find out more information, thecopywriterclub.com forward slash P7 to find out more information about this client acquisition system. Until then, let's kick off our episode with Dan Nelkin. Yeah, it was kind of like, a, I think a lot of wrong turns and dead ends. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't grow up being a writer or a, a creator. I wasn't even uh, the creative one in my family. I would say my, my two older brothers were. And so I thought, okay, you know, I, I'll play sports and be the dumb jock. And that's my job. And then uh, yeah, it wasn't until I was a bit older and, and when the house was quiet and it was just my mom and I, I think she was really my first audience where I was like able to like explore my creativity and saw that, hey, I'm funny too. I had soaked up a lot from my brothers and I was just always so quiet in the house. But still, I think by the time I, I finished high school, uh, I went into like psychology, which is what my mom did and my dad. And there was just something missing. And then I thought, well, sports. Yeah, I'll go. And I went into like sports broadcasting. And it was while I was doing that program, we had to, there was a copywriting class for radio and we had to write and produce radio commercials for the school station. So it was the only class I ever felt like seen by a professor. And it's the first time I ever really enjoyed school and just felt I had some like natural instincts, uh, obviously from my upbringing and um, it just, it just fit. Yeah. I could just say it was the first time I ever felt that and, and felt seen by a, a teacher. And so obviously, um, you know, it was pretty clear where I was going to go and still I didn't, I went to finish my psych degree after that. Uh, and then I would have like business ideas and, and I came back to like, well, if you have business ideas, I think I was always kind of entrepreneurial. You had to promote them. I went back to this copywriting thing. So it, it took me quite a while. I went to, when I went to the copywriting program in Toronto, I was 27. I started my career at 28 in an ad agency here in Vancouver. So that was kind of it. Can we, can we talk about the copywriting program or the portfolio program that you yeah, went through? Yeah. So this is actually relatively unique. We, we, haven't, we don't talk to a lot of agency copywriters and there's obviously so many paths to get into copywriting in portfolio school or ad school however you know 
each school calls it is one of those paths. I'm really curious about your experience there, what you learned uh, and, and what you came out of that experience with that helped you land a job in an agency. Well, I think that the biggest thing, once you get into these ad schools, I think people would be shocked at how much you push the work. And, and you know, the basic rule of thumb you'd see from a book that we were all reading back then and is still very relevant is that, hey, Whipple, squeeze this by yep. Luke Sullivan. And one of the things he says in that that book is to write uh, one great headline, you have to write 100. And they took that very literally uh, in the schools. And so it would be 100, 200, 300. I think what they really taught us was how to come up with ideas. And that's what you'll learn in a portfolio school, where I think uh, for a lot of copywriting, like disciplines and ways in, they focus on the writing. And this is like ideas first, insights first, and then write. Because when you have those, the writing actually gets easier and the lines can kind of write themselves. So I think it was that. It was pushing us. Um, that's what I got from that. And then I think it's it's just thinking big picture because you, you're often like you're, the goal is to work for big agencies which often have big brands. And so you're learning how to think more conceptually and think in terms of campaigns. And so when you put together a portfolio out of ad school, it's still the same, although, you know, obviously now it's social and more 360 campaigns. But it wasn't just a one-off ad or it wasn't just showing you could write. It was showing you could come up with a big overarching campaign idea and turn that into a series of headlines or ads. Um, so it just helped me, I think, see the bigger picture, which lends itself to working on bigger brands, obviously. So then what happened after school at 28 when you went to the portfolio school? What happened next? I um, got my old job back driving a forklift in the That's warehouse. Right. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. And so... I think I knew I was one of a few students who didn't get an internship for like, that's a whole other story. And so it was unpaid, but I didn't get it. But I, I knew enough. I knew I was good enough. And I was very determined to get a job. And so while I was like, whatever, cruising around the warehouse or tossing garbage into the baler, I was working on my portfolio. And, uh, I just kept, I would send my book to ad agencies. That was, I was back in Vancouver. So the school was in Toronto and I met with one agency who didn't have a spot for me, referred me to this other one. Um, it's called Cossette, one of the biggest ad agency networks here in Canada. And the creative director said, well, are you looking for an internship or a job? And I thought, well, if one of them's paid, I'm going to choose the job. And it wasn't, it was like a 50% pay cut from uh, the warehouse. But that's how I got my start. And I was on a week-to-week -week contract. Uh, so every Friday, I'd be, you know, can I come back on Monday uh, for a while? And then uh, I was an art director there who I didn't have a partner. I just sat there, you know, in my little cubicle. And he had a brief for this McDonald's. They needed a TV spot, radio spot, billboards. And I don't know, maybe at the time, some print. And he's like, you just threw me this brief. I was like, oh, you can work on this if you want. And I just went nuts. Like probably within like two days, I can't even tell you how many ideas I had. And so he took a bunch of mine, put them up on the wall with theirs. It was another more like mid-level creative team presented to the creative director. And I was in the presentation, but didn't say a word. And he picked off, he probably picked off about eight concepts. These would be and I don't, we didn't have radio, but it was like TV spot, uh, billboards. I think seven of the eight were from my sketchbook um, that the what? art director. Yes. It's amazing. And so I just knew it was kind of the chance I wanted. And it was shortly after that. I never told him, those are mine. You know, I really wanted to because I was still on a week to week contract. But um, I found out after he had said to the team, um, you know, how was it working with Dan? Because he wasn't sure what to do with me. And the art director let, was allowing the writer to speak. This person didn't, for whatever reason, was just like, oh, it was fine. And he just made a point. He said, I went back after. And I just let him know that the work was yours. And uh, that, that I, I don't know how what happened. Because I think at that point, I was always like, someone took a shot at me. I got the job. I did the thing. And then nobody knew I did it. And he went back and shortly after that was it. And then I just kind of took off from there. Eventually he became my partner and uh, yeah, it was awesome. I'm so grateful for that. 
Yeah, that, that's an amazing experience. I actually had a similar agency experience where another writer, you know, did. It's just I think that competition in agencies, you know, when you're unsure, especially in a situation like you were in, where am I even going to have a job next week, or you know, do I have yeah. a job if this client leaves? Foment some of those negative experiences. So. Yeah. Usually, I like to think about all of the positive experience. Like working in agencies is an amazing experience, and and the fun that you have. But there is that competitive element that you know, I think a lot of us tend to ignore, at least until it bites us. Yeah, and I I think I don't blame this person. I don't think they knew how much it would have helped me for them to speak up. I also think it could have just been like from a place of insecurity where yeah. this person was in their own head. Like I didn't do this, and there's this forklift driver who just spat out some good ideas, which should have been mine because I'm paid more and was maybe in their own head. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, let's talk about where those ideas come from. So coming up with a ton of great ideas in a very short period of time is a bit of a superpower. It's something that a lot of copywriters, you know, at least we would like to be able to do it, whether we actually do it every day or not. Mm -hmm. um, another question. But yeah, where do ideas come from and, and how do you develop them? You know, it's funny. I, I think I struggled through a lot of my career with that. Like it was a grind. I didn't have a system. And every time I just showed up at the blank page, went through the whole like feeling stuck, self-doubt, inner critic. I'm never going to work again. Find an idea. Momentum builds. It's really what led to to the book. I had some time away from the business doing something slightly different. I'm still creative. It was like um, animated explainer videos, writing and directing those. And I had my own clients and doing some ad stuff. So I was kind of out of it. And when I, when I went back into it, you know, you'd think as enough time passes, well, I should be confident I've been doing it long enough. And I'm like, I'm still like, I still don't have it. Like you think it just would appear one day and it, it didn't. So I started to kind of intentionally work on the craft and think about how I came up with ideas and, and break it down. And so now there's a lot less winging it in my process. There's actually so much, there's a lot of data actually that breaks down creative techniques that are used, whether we know they're using them or not. So uh, one example is, um, let's say finding an enemy is a common one. Well, you'll see bigger brands take on another brand, but there's also um, like coffee could take on sleep, could take on tea, could take on. So I now deliberately, that's one thing I do is I use these techniques deliberately to see if they lead me anywhere else or even something within them. The other thing I do that's become quite uh, popular from the book is this concept of creating buckets. And buckets to me are all the different areas you can explore. And the way I relieve pressure is just writing down the, the first thing that comes into my mind, the first surface level idea, which when we're not creating consciously, we're expecting the great idea just to come and then there it is. But really, we start somewhere obvious and on the surface. So what I do is just intentionally do that surface level ideas, no matter how bad they are. And then I go, well, what's one layer deeper? What's a first thought on that first level idea? So it's almost like tricking my brain. It's like there's nothing creative happening here. You know, I'm just coming up with bad ideas. But when you keep going, what's the first thought on this? And the first, all of a sudden you're three layers down and it feels like you're not trying. And I think partly from being familiar with uh, top campaigns and a high, higher standard of work that's required, Eventually, you just are able to pick out and say, hey, I can turn that into something and then off you go. So I think it's embracing the bad, which we've all heard before, embracing simple and obvious and just chipping down uh, one tiny, small layer at a time, relieving the pressure of having to be perfect or have a great idea. So it seems like you're making this whole writing thing slightly less painful for all of us. That's the goal. I mean, mostly for myself. And I always, I, I had no idea when I published the book, who else it would help. You know, really, I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, this is, this is going to sell and take off and, and be received the way it has. Especially, you know, I, I had worked in, in good agencies here, but I didn't stay in it. I got my own clients. And so I don't know what other people know or don't know. So I really had no idea, but it was mostly 
you know, a self-help guide for copywriters, it's called, but it was like to help myself. And uh, it turns out we all have uh, a lot in common. And could you talk through the bucket exercise? Because I found that to be really helpful too, and give some specific examples of what that would look like. Sure. So the example I gave in the book was like, let's say you are doing some ads or writing for really fast Wi-Fi. Oh, no, actually, one of the example I gave in the in, in the book was uh, for Udemy. They do online classes, you know them. And so one bucket would be um, you don't have to go to a school, which doesn't really feel like an idea. But then once you go, okay, you don't have to go to a school, then you don't have to commute. Um, you don't have to wait in line at the cafeteria. You can say your home is your school is slightly different than you don't have to go to a school. Your home is your school. Well, then your desk can be anywhere. You can, you know, sit on the couch, in bed, in the bathroom, in the shower, and you're in school. You could just start to get ideas. So let's say the first two buckets were um, you don't have to go to school and you can stay home. Just a slight word change will lead you to different ideas. And so those are examples of two buckets. And then I would just fill them with like each one with 10 to 20 first thoughts. You can't help but get more insightful once you get past two or three. And so the, the, the 10, I say like 10 to 20 buckets, if you go by what I said earlier, you know, to, to write one great line, you have to write 100. Feels like so, and always felt so intimidating to me. But if I, if I come up with 10 buckets and 10 first level ideas, I have 100 starting points very quickly. If I have 20 buckets that are those first thoughts, and then I apply those techniques the um, find an enemy, embrace your dirt, be refresh, refreshingly honest. Um, and I have like 20 of those. And now from doing this work, I probably have 30 headline techniques. And so it's, it's really controlling kind of the chaos of creativity. It can feel like um, it takes away from it, but what I've found, it just speeds it up. And I feel like that's so important uh, for us to create faster. When you look at tech tools and what they can do, they create really quickly. The quality is not the same, but businesses will say, well, if it's converting at this rate, why does it matter? So I think, you know, thinking of like AI, which maybe we talk about in tech, it needs to be more human, but I feel like we need to be more robotic. I think there's a sweet spot and, and that's really, it wasn't totally intentional, but that is where I'm heading with things now is um, structure, just adding structure to the creative process uh, so we can be uh, more human uh, faster. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I think, you know, as I was reading through your book, one of the things that hit me is that while you do bring process to the whole process, for lack of a better word, um, there's still a ton of room. So for instance, you do have some bucket ideas that you always go to, you know, find an enemy or whatever, but a lot of them are driven by the actual product or service that you're selling as well, right? So it's not, okay, well, I'm just going to write you know, everything mm -hmm. I can think about this product being simple and everything about this product being cheap and everything about this product being fast, like, you know, which might be three buckets, mm -hmm. but you're actually letting the product drive what a lot of that is. And then the second part of that, that, that jumped out at me and, and, um, you know, it's obvious, but it's also one of those things that we don't talk, you know, we talk about benefits, but when you start talking about the benefit of the benefit, mm -hmm. that opens up all kinds of bucket ideas that, yeah. I mean, from a headline standpoint is, is huge. Yeah. It's one step removed. You know, I, I, I created a course last year and it was for, it's called writing under pressure. It's to write headlines quickly. And so I, I share some techniques that I would use if I needed to write them quickly or if I was feeling the pressure kind of, of of the blank page. But in the second section, there's two tips I shared to come up with ideas. And one was I expanded on that. What is the benefit of the benefit? And in terms of whether you're feeling buckets or just coming up with ideas, it's amazing at what that generates. And the second Second uh, tip that really stood out for me, you know, as I created the course, because I'm learning too as I'm doing this, it was from Luke Sullivan's book that I mentioned, Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. And he had suggested this prompt. This is an ad about dot, dot, dot. And then you complete that sentence and then you cross off the this is an ad about part. 
and maybe you have your headline. That didn't work for me. But the one thing I noticed was every single time I answered it, because I answer, you have to answer it differently, it was like the smallest word choice was inspiring other ideas. So it wasn't so much about any of these techniques giving you the idea. It was like the hardest part is getting started. And all of these things will do that. And then once you have them all in your brain, you can combine them and mix them. And I'm so much, I've never been a better, uh, faster copywriter in my life. And I'm just, I'm getting faster. Like I still do some contract work. And I, I did a job recently where I held back, uh, I don't know, 40, 50% of my work because uh, of the budget. I was just like, um, it's cool to just see it working that I know it's possible. And I know how I felt before um, with the doubt and just insecurity. I've proven to myself anyway, that we can chip away at that and build confidence. So has the speed given you the confidence or just the structures giving you the speed, which is giving you the confidence? Yeah, I think that's what it is, Kira. Yeah. And I also feel, I guess I don't feel so alone in the process. Now either, like I have so many tools and techniques and a lot of them I knew before. I just wasn't applying them deliberately. They weren't as top of mind. I would end up there, but now I just do it deliberately and it just gets me going. And then I can go off on, on tangents and go from there, but it just grounds me. Well, could you give the example of maybe a more recent client project and like from the start of the project where you go, because I could see myself still procrastinating and pulling these tools last minute, but it sounds like you are jumping in earlier and the whole project is so much easier because you're not waiting until the 11th hour. Oh, I never, yeah, I never, you know, I had a friend who did that. She was probably one of the best writers, especially writers of, of headlines I've ever worked with. I met her in school. And she would even do it with her school projects, just wait to the very end. Um, it's like, I think that stress is cumulative, you know, and it caught up to her. Um, I think she lasted maybe four or five years in the business and she was amazing. Um, there was a study done uh, by uh, Harvard, Teresa Ama Amabile, I think is how you say her, her last name. And she said, what happens with most people when they uh, leave their creativity to the last moment? And they say, well, this is what I need to be creative. They're mistaking creativity for two things. It's uh, adrenaline and focus. Um, I think if we start early, and that's what we need to work on, is to focus early. So that also allows you at a certain point, if you have any time, to walk away from it, which also helps creativity. But if you're just avoiding it, you're just avoiding the discomfort, which really you're not, because it's just lingering the entire time. And so I'm also enjoying it more and I'm fearing it less. And so I want to do it when I have a good client and a good product. And it's like, I know I can now. I think I, I would wait before or find reasons and not do it because I was just avoiding having to face my inner critic and his insults again. Yeah. So, you know, as I was looking at the process again, I, as I told you before we started recording, I read your book last year and, and got another copy recently from you. Thank you. And uh, as I was going through the process this time, I was thinking, because I, we have this new thing happening in the world, AI, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, holy cow, there are so many ways that AI can turn up the dial on this, just using the same process, you know, the benefit of the benefit and looking at the buckets and... Uh, you know, maybe I start by writing down my ideas, but then asking a tool like ChatGPT or Bard or Claude or what it, whichever AI you're going to use, the same kinds of questions, and it could double or triple the output. You know, again in in seconds. So I'm curious: Are you using AI as you go through this process, and is it changing the way you're thinking at all, or are you completely hands off? Uh, you know, what's that look like for you? Definitely not hands off. I mean, I'm in awe of it. Um... I'm, I'll save like prompts that work. I think it's it's taking it takes too long right now. It's like I'll just do it myself. Um, I think even when I was at my slow, uh, highly insecure <laughs> state, uh, it would still be too long. It wouldn't help. It's like it, in the moment, it feels like I'm just going to use this because it feels helpful. And then you just spend so much time 
figuring out the prompts. But for some of the specific techniques, I think it's great. There's one prompt I've saved. So the the friend I mentioned earlier who kind of burnt out after four or five years, I was working with her uh, on a project. And I said, oh, I was thinking of a headline that has this kind of rhythm. And she said, oh, you mean a, a list and twist? And a list and twist, I was like, it's it's you know, at least two, two to three items in a list. And the last one is unexpected or twisted. I, I put that in the book and I've written about it. I mentioned that to her and she says, I never said that. And I was like, well, I know you did. But anyway, I was working with chat GPT, some of the specific ones. And I said, oh, you know, subscribe to my, I taught it the list and twist. First of all, it said, oh, I know what that is. And then it said, and it didn't. And then uh, spat out, you know, like 10 examples that were way too long and not very good. And then I said, no, it's this. And I explained that it's at least three items. And then I said, I'm going to give you the first two items and you give me the last one. I want it to be very specific and completely unexpected. And so I said, subscribe to my newsletter for tips on creativity, copywriting, and, and it came up with some ridiculous things. Underwater basket weaving was one. Um, and there, there was a whole bunch, like the first round, I think were like, you know, if it was like weird or unexpected, it went kind of obvious, like aliens and this. And then I was like, no, I want it very specific and just gave it some like um, uh, just a better prompt. And so now I have that one saved. And so anytime if I'm writing like a list and twist headlines and stuck, I can fire that into chat GPT. But it, AI also has me like really inspired. I think right now, I think when it's, gonna work well i think there's an urgency and there's always like a fear of technology like oh no it's gonna replace us all and i need to learn it right away and i think like a lot of tech when it's gonna be at its peak is when we don't even know we're using it you know it's just gonna be built into whatever we're working in it's not gonna be an external tool and it's just gonna make us i think better and faster versus replacing us which I think is also important. I think of when I started, there weren't as many platforms. We have to create so much more content on so many more platforms. The work is getting worse. Like we do need help. So I, I think it's awesome. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your prompt. That's a good that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kara, let's get into this the discussion of what Dan's been talking about. Do you want to kick it off with an idea or two? I don't know if I have an idea or two, but I just related to his story about how, um, you know, he said he didn't feel fully seen until he was in, was it his advertising class? Which class did he say? Yeah, in, well, it's basically a portfolio school or an ad, ad school thing that uh, he took part in, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just related to that. I was thinking back to my college experience, and I remember in you know towards the end of I guess it was my junior year when I had my first advertising class, and I rem like I was so excited, and I felt like it was the first time that I was recognized by my professor as um, as just being you know a star in the classroom, and that hadn't happened before that for the most part, and so um, it is really fun when you have that moment in a, a space that you'd never explored before, like advertising, where you're like, huh, this is really connecting the dots for me with creative and strategy and copy and design. And it all blends together in this thing called advertising. And it can be such a magical moment. So I just related to that, that part of his story. Yeah, while we're mentioning Portfolio School, we did talk, uh, we, we don't really talk about this very often in the podcast because mostly we're talking to freelancers, but for copywriters who want to work in agencies, this is one of the main ways to build the kind of portfolio that gets you hired at a big advertising agency. And we talked about this process with Luke Sullivan uh, on episode number 115. He's the author of Hey Whipple, Squeeze This, and he has been a major contributor at a portfolio school himself. So anybody who wants to learn more about that process or might want to work at a big agency should definitely check out episode 115. It's great share. Uh, we also talked a lot about procrastination. And the funny thing is, as we had that conversation, this is now weeks ago, I was in the middle of a project, kind of still in it, but um, and a deadline was creeping up on me. And talking to Dan about procrastination actually terrified me because he made so many great points. And I think it's really easy to just be like, oh yeah, procrastination is part of the game. And this is just how I operate. And 
he made a good case for the fact that there is a huge benefit to starting earlier and enjoying the creative work more and having, you know, fearing less. And that's exactly what he said. And I just remember sitting there listening to him and I was like, oh, I really do want to enjoy my work more and not feel so stressed all the time. So what if I started it, you know, two or three days earlier than I typically would? maybe that would feel a little bit better. And he's just done such a great job of figuring out uh, these different devices and tools and processes we can use to make all of this so much easier. Yeah, I I feel the same way. In fact, as we were talking with Dan, I'm thinking Dan might be the only copywriter in the world that doesn't procrastinate. And I know that's probably over. He'd probably be like, I actually procrastinate sometimes. But because of the systems that he's built and the different uh, ideas that he goes through. You know, we, we talked about the buckets and we talked about the list and twist and all of these different tools that he uses. It's really easy to say, okay, I've got this new assignment. Here's the basics that I know about it. Let me just start going through some of this stuff and the ideas start to multiply and it starts to happen almost on its own. So having a system can actually make, uh, you know, we tease this a little bit in the intro, but that system can actually make you more productive when it comes to creativity or more creative because it enables more ideas and more combinations in different ways than if you just sit down, blank paper, let me see what I can get off the top of my head. And you're definitely not going to cover all of the areas that you would cover if you went through the buckets. And a lot of us do this naturally, like even as he was talking about list and twist, which I was like, oh, that sounds like it's really fun. And then as he described what it is, I was was thinking, I do this all the time, but I've never put a name to it. I've never thought about it as, you know, as, as, um, as a process or as a tool, a creative tool I can use. And so we can use his book because his book is the best tool. He has all of his ideas and um, mechanisms in there, or we can create our own too. And just as we do these creative processes and work through them, putting names to them and capturing them rather than kind of just leaving it up to our intuition and to our like natural processes and just kind of pulling it out of thin air, which it often feels like we're doing, um, we don't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, we, as copywriters, oftentimes we like to think in templates like AIDA or PAS or, you know, some of those kinds of formulas that we use when we're writing out sales messages or even content. But we often don't think about creativity and that there are formulas that make creativity work. And so I think it's it's not a huge leap to say, yeah, Let's adopt some of these ideas that, that Dan has been sharing here on the podcast and that he shared in his book. And I'll just make yet another pitch for it. This is, in my opinion, a, a book that should belong on everybody's desk, every copywriter, content writer's desk. Okay, Rob, what else stood out to you? So one last thing, and I know we've talked about this, like we're probably making people sick with how often we talk about AI, but just that idea around how AI is this means for inspiration. It's a tool for bouncing ideas back and forth. We talk about that in the AI for Copywriters course we put out. It's at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. But, you know, seeing Dan's processes for creativity, like I mentioned when we were talking, it just gave me that idea. It's like, oh, I can use some of those formulas drop them into a tool like ChatGPT or Bard or whatever and ask for the model to return back some additional ideas for me. So uh, it's another potential use where AI actually makes us better as writers as opposed to taking away all our jobs or all of the other things that people say. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I was playing with a new AI tool this morning. It was a design tool. So it's. I think it's easier when I'm playing with a design tool like Adobe Firefly not to feel insecure because it's design and it's not like, oh, this is going to take my job. Of course, a designer, when looking at that tool, will probably freak out and say, oh, this is going to take my job. But it just allowed me to tap into my creativity in such a new and exciting way. And so I think anytime we get stuck and we still feel insecure with these new AI tools, maybe look at a tool that is outside of the writing world Maybe look at a tool that is more in the project management space, or maybe it's a programming tool that allows you to develop 
um, an app or something you would never be able to develop on your own. Or maybe it is a design tool that allows you to create from your words. And so just can feel so um, like a revival of creativity when using tools that uh, don't trigger fear. And so allow yourself to explore those other tools, even if you're not quite as excited about the writing tools. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Because as I've been playing around with Midjourney and Blue Willow and some of the other design tools that are out there, there's I would not give myself permission to play with a watercolor filter. I wouldn't get out, you know, my old watercolor brushes or paper. Like, uh, you know, I've I've told myself enough times I'm not good enough at that or I don't enjoy that process. But doing it with this AI tool is just a, a different way to play around with with those kinds of ideas and I can create things that I never would be able to create on my own or, or wouldn't even give myself permission to play with on my own because I've tried it and I wasn't good at it. So yeah, I, there's just this massive space for creativity and learning that's going on there and can make us all smarter, better, faster, whatever uh, you want to describe that as. All right, well, let's get back to our interview with Dan and find out about his swipe file system and how he leans into emotions when writing. And I'm wondering if there are any other tips that you gave in the book that you've been surprised so many people have mentioned to you or or maybe a little bit more popular than you expected when you initially hmm. published it. No, I mean, the buckets... Definitely people mention that all, all the time. I think overall, I've just been completely shocked by the response to the book. That maybe it was like just protective that I was just like, this is for me. I just need to finish something for myself. I don't care if anyone reads it. You know, I, maybe that's why. And then it was received so positively and I just kept seeing it pop up everywhere. And then it was... Uh, I think early on it was number two in on Amazon in the advertising category in several countries, the US, the UK, Canada. And yeah, that was like a, it took some getting used to. It was like, oh no, it was like also a little panic, you know, what have I done? I wasn't prepared for, prepared for that. So I'd say that's the most shocking part. Uh, it's just, just seeing it. And I still get surprised when I see it posted and people message me. One of the things I love about the book, Dan, is just the number of examples. And I, and maybe I, I love it because coming from an agency background, you know, I spent mornings, you know, before I would have to brainstorm ideas going through communication arts annuals, right? Or the, the one show annuals. Yeah. And, and it's, it, I mean, those books are all, you know, hundreds of dollars uh, to get mm -hmm. them on your library. Your book is $9, mm -hmm. $7, something like that. And it's basically, a, you know, one of those annuals. And so from a brainstorming, just getting your, your head thinking in a creative way, it's just fun to kind of flip through the pages, look at the headlines, because there are, I mean, I don't know how many examples you've included. It's got to be a couple hundred yeah. different ads, uh, mm -hmm. phenomenally good ads. And you've kind of broken down, shared, you know, some of your thoughts about why they work or what the, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is. And, and this isn't really a question. It's just me praising the book mm -hmm. and, and saying everybody should have a copy of it because it is more valuable than the $10 you're going to spend to get it on your shelf for sure. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I've started curating kind of just ads and saving them. And I do have a little like system now for doing that, that I have, I don't know, over a thousand. I don't know how many I have. Um, so I share just different things. I have two folders and one is just like, you know, everyone says to have a swipe folder. So I throw things in the swipe folder, but then I have another one called ad samples. Uh, and uh, I'll, once a week or once every two weeks, I go through it. And if I know what it is, oh, it's a list and twist. It's a smile headline. I've already created a folder for it. I just drag it in. I tag it with a few things so I can find it. If it doesn't, I leave it in there until I can come up with a name or see a pattern in it, and then I drag it in. That way I can teach it or share it, or if nothing else, it's just in my brain. And uh, there's like a psychology technique uh, uh, called name it to tame it, which I think is used for like kids' emotions mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. them through things. But that's helped me um, with creativity, really. It's just naming these things. So I can do a list and twist. Opposites, like I have so many now. Uh, when before I had none, even though I was doing these things, and a lot of us are doing these things, we just don't know we are. So does that mean there's another book coming as you're so, making these collections? Uh... No, no, 
I mean, maybe, uh, but it's not kind of on a front burner right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's like for content for a future course. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, like just you referencing all of the examples, there was uh, a PDF created maybe 20 years ago by someone called Suzanne Pope. You heard of her? She, uh, yeah, I've heard the name. I yeah, it was, it, was a, it was called An Inconvenient Truth for Copywriters. And that was so helpful. I had that on my desk. And really, when I had, I didn't feel like I had a mentor early on in my career or resources. But that, I printed it out. It was like 20 pages long. It had about 30 examples and 10 techniques. And uh, so it was kind of that really inspired the book, was just having a technique and example. So I had a quick reference. Um, so yeah, that, that was massively helpful. I think what you do so well is you know how to make people smile when mm-hmm. they read your your copy and even just your note on the front page that you wrote. Um, you know, you said there are two typos in this version. If you no longer wish to have me on the show, my inner critic agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> it just it's hard not to smile. And so I I don't know if it's it's a hard question to answer, but what is your best specific advice for other writers who aspire to make people lean in and feel seen and have kind of create that like intimate connection where you want to smile and you feel that that trust is built. How do you do that? Well, I mean, it's important to me and you can't always do it for brands. And so I think some of like, it's just create for yourself to play with that. Like that's what LinkedIn is for me and the book. I really do think in a lot of ways, this was, I, I shared something today on, on LinkedIn that one of the things that helped me was my frustration. Like I just leaned into my frustration with, I wasn't able to express my work or all of the layers in an ad agency or with clients that when I create, it's kind of for me. And so with the book, I was able to, there's even some lines uh, where the editor had said, oh, I don't think everyone will get this. And Obviously, I listened to a lot of her feedback, but there were some where I was like, that's okay for the people who do. And so I think that's what waters down a lot of creative is worrying about that. Not every piece is for everyone. And if we can convince clients of that too, it will, I think their work will be stronger for it. But there's often big, the bigger the brand, the more stakeholders and things end up being very vanilla because everyone has to, you know, um, be okay with it. So And I think if you're able to show it in your work for yourself, you will then attract clients who want what you do. Um, And that's what's happening uh, for me. So while while we're still talking about ideas in the book in general, I'm I'm curious, this can maybe a big question, but why a book? You know, of all of the different ways to, to go into the world and, you know, there's so many written today, easy to get lost, like, why a book in the first place? That's a good question. That's why I kind of laughed when you said, are you writing a second book? Because I'm not sure it's, the, you know, if, if my focus is to help people, is that the best way to do it? Maybe it's a software is what I'm probably more likely to do um, or not a book published in that way. But I think honestly, you know, growing up, everyone's got like, I'm going to write a book one day. Uh, my dad, you know, he's 80. He still hasn't done it, but he's like, he's close to 80. I'm going to write a book one day. I'm just not ready yet. I'm like, I don't think you are. (laughs) Um, At some point, yeah, the book gets written or not. Yeah. So I think that was it for, you know, actually how it started, which I I share a bit in in the book in the beginning. I had an idea originally to do an online course teaching headlines. And uh, early on, I had met with someone who worked at Lululemon and they wanted me to do some work for them. I couldn't, and I knew him and I casually mentioned this course that I didn't have yet. And, but I told him what I had figured out kind of, Oh, that's about, you know, a great headline. Isn't a great sentence. It's a great idea expressed in words. And it was like a minute and a half of our like lunch conversation. And he messaged me after and said, Hey, too bad. You can't work for us right now, but could you come teach that course to our writers? And I was like, "Uh Oh, um, and so I sent him an estimate. And in that estimate, I said, you know, the writers will get a, a booklet, this leave behind. And so we set the date. I started working on it. I started on the booklet. I had three months to 
have this course ready. I was two months in and the booklet was 80 pages long with a bunch of examples. That's when I really started curating. And uh, I started to really panic because the course, was, I had to also create these slides. I'd never taught a course before. And then he got to let go. So I, and I'd never, never collected a deposit. But anyway, so I had this, I was like, you know, this feels like a book. And I think at that time when I was on, it was like eight years ago. And uh, I still felt like at that time it was best served kind of as a book. I don't know about today. Um, I still think it is. It was nice. Like I, I think most people buy the hard copy and they keep it on their desk. Something about, I think, when you're working on a screen and then you have to look at another screen that if you can keep that screen there and look through the book and holding it because we, we just never use our hands anymore or not enough. I think there's something to it, but, but yeah, good question. <laughs> I don't know why a book. It's funny. For, for, I yeah, had something, something, I know, aren't both of you working on books? I mean, well, what do you rumor. consider that's working? <laughs> yeah, we've put it out there. We've, we've got our ideas. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a little slower going. But it's Rob, funny. Rob I wrote at the beginning. He took off in like a couple of days. He was like, I wrote the first chapter. Yeah, I've got a couple of chapters, but I mean, I wrote a book before, you know, that I, I absolutely hate. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. It, it has some decent stuff in it, but like, and every time I sit down to write this new one, I, I, I have a little bit of PS. TD, you know, from, yeah, yeah. from, yeah. So anyway, uh, it'll come. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming for sure. Well, yeah. What is your advice for us and for other writers listening who also want to write a book uh, yeah. to help us not get in our own way and not do exactly what Rob and I are doing where we're just like mm -hmm. talking about it, but not doing the thing. I think, you know, if you write a book just for you, I think that's enough. But also I think I would just, what got me was imagining my life without having done it. Got so, I don't know, I, I said to myself, like if, if you are just kind of full of it and you're not actually going to do that or make anything for yourself, just go get a job like a normal person and stop doing this. And I found out we were pregnant with our second child. And then I was like, well, this is the perfect excuse to not finish it and wait, what, another five years till she's in kindergarten. And I was just like, no, like... I just knew it was starting to hurt me and I had to do it for me. I got to that point. So I guess it's maybe just sit in it a bit like, you know, it's for you really. And how, how great will you feel to finish it? Like just, it's hard. I up until two months before I pressed publish, I was wanted to give up and there were things that would come up. Oh, do I need uh, copyright for the, all 200 images? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I reached out actually to Luke Sullivan and one other author when they went with, uh, they had publishers, so they didn't have to worry about that stuff. But he was like, I think if it's educational, you don't have to. And I was like, two people had mentioned that to me. And then I was like, oh, well, we'll find out. And uh, I still don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, there were all kinds of things like that, that the closer I got would come up. And uh, even the structure, I was like, Three months before I had to, it got feedback that I just, I knew I needed that I really didn't want because it would more work, but every time it just got better. So you will feel like that, but just, I can't tell you how good it felt. It was like terrifying too, to hit publish. So I had developed a bit of an audience by that point, but um, yeah, I just say it's worth it because I knew for me, I just had to develop a habit of creating and like following through for myself because it would just lead to the next thing and the next thing. And that's what's happening. It would change your life to just finish it. So that's worth it. Yeah. Well, I, I want to hear more about that change of that change. Once you launch the book, you get out of your own way. Like what has that changed for you or what has that introduced? What are the new possibilities and doors that have opened for you since then? I mean, I think the number one thing for me was just feeling valued really and it feels amazing to that it's helping people the messages i get from someone who's applied to whatever ad school in australia two years in a row there's this test it didn't get in i read your book i got in the intern in toronto who messaged me and said there was five writers five other interns we all had to submit lines i was the only one who read your book or an executive creative director in New York who said he wrote 500 headlines in two hours. Like I can't even do that. Um, 
that's number one is just feeling valued that I think it's something I've always known I had value, but I didn't have enough evidence and I maybe wasn't putting myself in a position or with the right companies or in the right roles for it to be seen by anyone. So um, that was it. I think, you know, the adjustment is being seen as an expert too. You're like, what? Um, but what that leads to is, you know, speaking to companies around the world. I, they've all been virtual so far. Um, in a full circle moment, I actually just met with someone at Lululemon who's probably going to have me come in and teach that. Uh, uh, it will be my course, not the original one. So that's pretty cool. You should get a deposit on that. <laughs> I'm going to do that. She actually offered it. I was like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Yeah. Um, so that's happening. Talks. Um, I, I created my first online course. So I think what it's done is just leads you to the next thing. And so the course was the same way. I'm not comfortable in front of camera. I don't know the technology. I don't know how to do this. I remember like that first video. It took me forever to do a first like intro, five minute video, like five hours, probably that first one. I have all the outtakes of, of me swearing and the things I was saying to myself, which is cool to watch, like how, like it was just awful. But then I had a moment where I was just like, oh man, you're like, you're finishing this because I had pre-sold it. It was like, you're going to get so good at this. And I could just see it with just like the book, you know, like by the time I finish it, I'm going to be so good at this. And I think that's what I, I got from finishing the book too, was it just taught me that it's worth it to just keep going. Um and really, it's um, inspired me to just keep making the next thing. And now my problem is just choosing what to do next. I, I know we could keep talking about the book. I, I want to actually know a little bit about your business and how you work with clients today, the kind of work that you do. Um, just tell us, you know, what a typical project looks like, feels like, um, you know, that that part of the work that you do. Yeah, I'm doing less of that. I'd say it's now like... 30, 40% of what I do, I'll do that. And I do still work direct to client, which is usually what, what I prefer. Um, and so, you know, I helped uh, launch, uh, well, actually they haven't launched yet, but it's a new yogurt in the States is one project. There's a, uh, so yeah, different things. I have a buddy of mine, a designer I used to work with who started uh, a, it's like a DIY detailing uh, product for cars. He's doing very well. So I've been doing work with him and I'll occasionally do like a tone of voice documents for brands and higher, higher level stuff. Um, yeah. So it's, it's usually bigger campaigns. And then I, I, like, cause I don't, in terms of copywriters, write websites really, or, or do content, but because of my newsletter, I'm having some traction with that. Uh, I had a company recently ask me if I could look at theirs and bring some personality to their, see that never would have happened before. I said, we want this and do it this way. But now they either read my newsletter, have read my book or follow me on LinkedIn. And they're like, we want some of that, Kira, that smile you talked about. Listening to a podcast about copywriting for copywriters, it's nice to hear the variety of work that, mm -hmm. you know, is out there. Uh, so much, I'm, you know, we get in our own, in our own streets, right? Where it's like, oh, it's all about sales pages or it's all about email. And I mean, copy is everywhere. And so just hearing, you know, the kinds of assignments and the kinds of work that are out there and available, I think is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I mean, I, that's the other thing was like, if you are creating content, like nobody would have asked me, I mean, not as often or help with a, like a newsletter, for example, or even their LinkedIn strategy or posting like now. Yeah, I am an, an expert in that as well. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. But, you know, we have the opportunity to play with those mediums. If you're not doing it, like we can do it. It's never been easier to create. And if what you create sucks, nobody notices and they're expecting it to. It gets buried quickly and you get better at it and can figure it out. I have I'm, I'm juggling in my head which question to ask you because I have like three more questions I want to <laughs> ask you, but I'm also paying attention to the time. Um, all right. Well, one of them is you know, you're speaking about all these opportunities and these projects, which, you know, you have, you are at that stage in your business and you've done the right things to land those opportunities. There are also so many copywriters right now who are struggling with, again, these weird recession times that we're in and giving up on copy or, you know, pivoting and leaving copywriting or just like, hey, tell me what to do. 
are people even hiring copywriters? And so do you have any advice for that copywriter who's just really frustrated, but is trying to figure out how to keep the business alive and also also not burn out and just disengage where so much resentments build up that they just leave copywriting altogether? Yeah. I know that's, yeah, a big, I mean, that's a big question. Yeah. I mean, I can just speak for myself because as much as like I can be like, oh, I'm a guest on a podcast and I have everything figured out. Like I'm still lost and, and don't know what I'm doing. And the where I've struggled the most, because I just haven't fed it. It hasn't been a priority, but it is that client work. And so again, I'll go back to like frustration. The last time I'll take a job still, like someone who hasn't heard of author Dan Nelkin is <laughs> like, mm, need a copywriter. And I'll feel undervalued or I don't want to do that. Like it's still happening. So where I'm focusing now, I touched on is like productizing somehow. So I have the control. Uh, this is what I provide for you. And I think like if you're struggling, if they're suffering about it, which doesn't help, it's like what steps can you take? There are always things we can do differently. Maybe it's productizing, like use that resentment or frustration to problem in some way. I know it's hard instead of waiting for the world to come to you. It's just when that when we work that way, it's the, the right work doesn't find us. So I feel like until you've tried and used that frustration to do something a little different to build your craft, which will build your confidence, which might lead you to sharing more. Um, like you got to try something different if you're not, that's all I'd say. You've mentioned that you're practicing a couple things in your business a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, will you give us an example of, uh, and obviously, you know, turning things into products people can buy. Like, I, we get that the larger idea, but uh, in the application, what exactly are you turning into a product so that it's easier to you know get to or it's easier to work yeah. on? Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing yet, but I had a meeting with a guy. So yeah, okay, I'll share enough context that you can figure it out. <laughs> um, how far back do I go? I'll start here and we'll see. All the way back to driving the forklift. No, it's not far <laughs> off that actually. It's early on in my career. Um, also, I'll tell that uh, story quickly. There were these, uh, there's a company, Best Buy. You have Best Buy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have Future Shop as well? Uh, no, we had Circuit City and okay. Fries, but I don't okay. remember Future Shop. So Best Buy and Future Shop across Canada were owned by the same company. And I had a friend who worked for them and she sent me this document. They had hired two guys out of Seattle to do this like brand audit. And I saw the deck. It was so bad. <laughs> like you could have watched one commercial of each one and done this. It was three months work and they charged 300 grand for this audit. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. <gasps> those prices, like, they drive me nuts seeing what wow. what agencies charge for those kinds of brand books is wow. amazing. And amazing. They were flown in from Seattle, this like 45 minute flight. And not only that, they there had to be a certain type of water in the room. No. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. So that's, then you, that's, you, that's actually a lot like traveling with Kira. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you <laughs> with your Coke zero, don't even get me started. <laughs> uh, so, um, I've always, I've, from that point, I haven't done anything about it, but I've always thought like, it's easy to do like a quantitative audit or conversion rates. Uh, and I found this, Actually, it was I did some work for a company. He's like, hey, you should do something like this. And it came back to me. He says, but for a creative. And he showed me this audit that they did and how it works. On You go to the site and uh, there's three options. The first option is free. And if you fill that out, they'll go to your site and they'll take one component and show you how you could increase conversions. And if you, then they try and upsell you to these packages. Anyway, I was curious. I reached out to the founder of this company. Uh, they're called, I'll shout them out because he gave me some time, Audit, O-D-D-I-T. So it's even worth like checking out if you're ever thinking of productizing. So I met with him and I said, oh, I was talking to a client of yours and he was like, he didn't know them. I was like, I love it. That's what I want. I don't. I want to not even know who my clients are. Uh, and so they kind of come in and he has a team obviously working for him. So he's not doing it is why he didn't know. But he said, there's like no client interaction. They fill in a little form, they do the audit and send them quite a thorough, it was better than the $300,000 one. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't cost that much. And it's like, 
of the three tiers, the highest one is three grand. Um, and so mine would be more qualitative. Um, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure that out because obviously with conversions or SEO, like things are more measurable and creativity less so. But there are a lot of brands, especially with AI, that are starting to value like original human uh, humor. Uh, and so that's, I just have to craft it. Right. So I've kind of told you what it is. I just haven't, I have a name. I just, I'm not sharing the name. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like measurement, measuring it by the number of people who smile when they read, right. read your copy right. and track. You mm-hmm. could do that with facial recognition now. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh yeah. There you, you go. Very sci-fi. Um, yeah. My, my last question for you is just around creative practices. You know, as someone who is very creative, what are you doing outside of writing and all of the techniques you shared in your book to stay creative and engaged well i mean just a fairly curious person and now that i'm creating content you know and creativity is really just connecting things uh i'm listening to a book on like parenting which i'm getting so many ideas for um I will intentionally listen to things that are not related to copywriting or creativity and that really seems to help because because I'm so consumed by it, you know, these days, I get so many ideas. I definitely get less uh, when that's all all I'm doing. Um, it just helps things stick. That's when you come up with analogies. And I have to remind myself to sometimes just find something that makes you laugh. And that isn't for work. Um, but it all kind of comes back to it these days. <laughs> My last question for you, Dan, is if people want to connect with you or check out your course, find your book, where's the best place to go and and make that connection? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think just LinkedIn, just Dan Nelkin, send me a connection request or or follow me if if that's uh, too much of a commitment. Um, And yeah, that's that's where you find me. And everything comes from there. I do have a newsletter. uh, So nelkincreative.com, you can sign up there for my newsletter and I share anything that's happening through there. And I try uh, almost every Monday to share like one creative or copywriting tip that you can take into the week. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for your time, for sharing the process. Uh, You know, if people have listened and they, you know, it's like, wow, we were a little too high level. They should definitely get the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for being here, Dan, just sharing so much. Uh, thank you. It was nice, nice to to meet you both. I've I've listened to you both. And so it was uh, so cool to, to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for my copy of the book and for giving us your time today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. That's the end of our interview with Dan Nelkin. Let's get into just a couple of more takeaways before we wrap up here. So again, lots of things that jump out and things that we can talk about, but I think I'd like to focus just on the, the swipe file uh, idea and the system that we have for, uh, you know, collecting these ideas that aren't necessarily ours, but that we can borrow against. And, you know, when we talked earlier, we were talking about list and twist and the smile headline and, the, you know, the different patterns and templates that, you know, are out there and that people are using over and over. I've got a, I actually have a folder where I've collected, you know, some cool magazine ads that I like from the past. And there are a couple of email lists that I'm on that share those kinds of things too. What do you do for your swipe file? Do you have a creativity swipe file? I'm just laughing because no, I am, I am the worst person at organizing any folder, any file. Um, And I think you know that, and the team definitely knows that. So I was just going to say, don't be afraid if that is not your expertise and like you do, you create content, you create copy, you're constantly coming up with ideas, but saving them in a folder is not your area. It's okay because there are so many resources out there that you can pull from when you do need a swipe file, right? Like you can get Dan's book and now I have a swipe file in his book because I have that near my desk or you can get breakthrough advertising um, mastery. And that has a ton of swipes you can pull. You can befriend people like Rob who have their own swipe files. And so you can look at those. So I guess I'm just saying like, not everyone's good at that. I'm definitely not. But there are so many resources available where it's not going to prevent you from learning as long as you can pull those tools and keep those resources near you. 
One more thing that Dan talked about that I think is worth revisiting is we were talking about looking for places to find creativity. At the very end, we're talking about you know getting away from the desk or the work and you know spending time doing something that's totally outside the realm of whatever it is that we're writing or thinking about. And I know that's an idea that comes up a lot, but it's something that I think we forget to do. You know, we, we know it's important to get outside and go for a walk or watch a movie or read a book that's totally disconnected from anything that we're doing. And yet we tend not to do that stuff because we get so wrapped up in the work and in getting things right. And so it's just worth drawing a line under that and saying, yep, we all need to get out more. Maybe Kara, you and I should kick off now and just go see a movie or something. Except that we have more calls lined yeah. up. See, this is why it doesn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, this, I mean, that's something I definitely could use more of. Um, and I'm hoping to this summer to just have, yeah, more space. I don't, I get really grumpy when I'm, I can tell I'm not working too hard, but just like on my screen too much and not getting that creative stimulation from the real world. There are just times that's just reality. But I think as long as you can kind of pull back and lean into the real world and what makes you feel good and creative, like it's, you got to do that as creatives. We have to do that. Um, but there are times where you just also have to get on your laptop and crank out the work to keep a business, keep the business afloat. For sure. Last thing I want to touch on is Dan's mentioning of his book and just the value that that brought, not even necessarily to his business, although I'm sure it's brought him clients, but the fact that he accomplished something, finished something that was big, important, and what that does to our confidence levels. You know, we talk a lot about or, uh, with a lot of copywriters who are, you know, I, I'm not confident in this or that. And it's doing the thing that builds the confidence. And so if you need the confidence to write a book, you just have to write the book and then you'll have the confidence. You've done it, you've accomplished it. And that works for just about anything that we try or work on. Yeah, I feel I feel confident because we have this podcast and it's like, even though it's a team effort, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's still running and I think anytime you have something that continues on and is hard to do and not many people do it, right, then it's it builds that confidence. And you're like, well, what else? What else can I do? We want to thank Dan Nelkin for joining us on the podcast to talk about his book and how he stays creative in his business. If you want to connect with him, like he suggested, look him up on LinkedIn or to grab his book, head over to nelkincreative.com. It's also available on Amazon. It may be on some other bookstores as well. It's definitely worth adding to your bookshelf. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. And be sure to check out our other podcast, which is all about artificial intelligence and how copywriters and creatives are using it in their careers and businesses. You can check that out at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode.